morning, church, um, and it's a privilege for me to, to join you this morning. Um, if you've got your Bibles, turn them on or turn to them, um, and we're just going to look at the first 13 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, so it'd be good just take a moment to read those verses, um, and then, then we're going to work our way through them. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And in my version, it's headed, uh, Warnings from Israel's History. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with them and their bodies were scattered over the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test God as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the age has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to us all. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Amen. I'm going to ask you a question as we start. I'd like you to identify from this description what city I'm talking about. Business is booming and wealth and extravagance are the new normal. Money is taken for granted and thoroughly wasted as people revel in every kind of luxury. This is a hotspot for tourism and business travel, unless you're in lockdown. And it allows visitors to take advantage of their time in the city. What happens here stays here. The reputation for indulgence has slowly grown to the point where gross sexual sins have become the norm. A sailor is temporarily ashore and indulges in sexual gratification. A man has relations with his own mother and it is no big deal because if it feels good, do it. Meanwhile, the church is barely surviving. 
the wise scholars and philosophers of this influential city cause doubt and scepticism when it comes to faith. Influential people with strong opinions are causing factions in the church. Church members are indulging in the sins of the city around. The religious diversity of the city is swaying other members into false teaching and practice. And worship services are a disorderly mess. It seems as though this heathen city of pagan reverie and sensual satisfaction will soon swallow up and destroy the church. Where is this? Is it New York? Is it Paris? Is it London? No. It's ancient Corinth. Is this, it's the clicker working. There we go. Ancient Corinth, which was the leading city of Greece around 50 to 51 BC. And this is taken from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. What do we see? When we see people behaving in the way that we've described, what do we say to such people? What do we say to fellow brothers and sisters who are surrounded by sin, struggling with sin, and fighting to sustain and strengthen the church at the same time? Whether it's Corinth 2,000 years ago or London, Lewisham today, Paul would say the same thing. Liberty and freedom does not guarantee success, but temptation can be overcome. In chapter 9, as we've, we've heard previous weeks, Paul explains that he has managed and at times forfeited his rights, his freedom. For instance, his right to marry or his right to receive payment in order to do what? To focus on the gospel. Paul is talking about a race. And Paul says that you have to run it and you have to be disciplined. That's the build-up in, in chapter 9 that's coming into chapter 10. You cannot run aimlessly. God calls us to run the race marked out for us. Yet right in the middle of this theme of running the race, Paul kind of takes a time out. Okay. Right in the middle of this, this, time of, this theme of running the race, the Apostle Paul reminds the believers of Corinth that there is something very simple that can lead them off course. Temptation. Now, it doesn't help that the Corinthians lived in a city full of temptation. Corinth was the Mecca of Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty, love, and sexuality. 
But as we come in to chapter 10, Paul is going to remind people to stick to the disciplines. He says, I want to remind you, I want you to not be ignorant. In legal terms, ignorance of the law is no excuse. And Paul is saying here, grow up. Do not be ignorant. Don't be silly. Don't play around. Grow up and stick to the discipline so that you run the race successfully. And so what does he take us through in, this, in these 13 verses? In the first five verses, and we're going to look at these in a moment, Paul says that advantages, the blessings that you've had, will not guarantee success. That's warning number one. Your blessings, your advantages will not guarantee success. And then in verses 6 and 11, they, they kind of repeat each other. He says that your liberty should impress on you the need to keep disciplined. And then here comes the second warning that there are consequences. But he finishes this section, verses 12 and 13, by saying, stay focused and be encouraged. Let's pause for a moment. I want you to think about a couple of things. What is, how does this make um, sense to us today? Take a moment to think about what blessings have you enjoyed over the lockdown period? In what ways has God blessed you over the lockdown period? Because it's so easy to moan and complain, but where have the blessings been? I had a message from someone that I've been in contact with with Facebook, a group that I'm part of, just yesterday to say that partly out of the conversations that I've been having with her, she has joined an online church. What a blessing. All because I just offered to pray for her. What blessings have you had? Think for a moment. But then extend it back. What blessings have you had over the last five years? What have been the markers that God's put in your life that have been evidence to you that God is at work in your life? Blessing you. Now keep those in mind as we look through these verses. Remind yourself of the ways that God has blessed you over these last five years because they are going to be the things that help you grow up and stay firm. Just go back a moment. There are four spiritual advantages outlined in these verses. The first spiritual advantage that Paul is going to remind them of, it says, is that you were once under the cloud and you all passed through the sea. He says you were baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea, verse 2. He says, you all ate the same spiritual food. And then the fourth one 
They all drank of a spiritual rock. And he says, all, every one of the ancient Israelites enjoyed these spiritual advantages, these blessings. And as a result of practicing the spiritual disciplines that Paul has outlined in chapter 9, he says, don't be ignorant, don't mess around, run the race, be encouraged by the blessings that you've had. But Paul says, though those ancient Israelites enjoyed those blessings, they still committed idolatrous sins that caused them to derail their spiritual race and come under God's judgment. And that message is the same for us. So let's just look at those advantages for a moment and see what the learning outcomes of them are. Here's advantage number one. That the Israelites went through the cloud. Now, you will remember from Exodus 13 that as the Lord led the Israelites out of Egypt, he led them in a pillar of cloud and a ball of fire. And Paul is saying here that the Israelites were led on their journey and that the Lord was in the cloud. He was leading them. He was in front of the Israelites, guiding them every step of the way with one exception. And that one exception was when the Israelites were pursuing, that when the Egyptians were pursuing the Israelites, the cloud moved to the rear to separate the Egyptians from the Israelites so they couldn't see them. The cloud went to the back to confuse the enemy and ensure the Israelites escape. The sea was the Red Sea. As Moses raised the rod, the Lord said to him, stand your ground and you will see what the Lord will do. And they walked through on dry ground. Any Israelites who experienced God's judgment in that wilderness were doing so despite remembering the blessings of the cloud and the deliverance through the Red Sea. And the Corinthians need to hear this warning that even though they enjoy certain advantages and blessings, they cannot take it for granted that their eternal destiny is secure. Much will depend on their choices and behavior. So what's the learning outcome of advantage number one? Our blessings are that God guides us and protects us. Advantage number two is that the people of Israel had been baptized. And baptism literally means from the Greek, immerse or sink or drown or go under or sink into or bathe. And so I think you can see why Paul is saying you were baptized through the sea, thinking of the Red Sea experience as a baptism. 
The reference to the cloud as a baptism is slightly more obscure, but Paul is probably speaking of the sense in which the people were enveloped by the cloud. The Lord enveloped them, protected them. And then Paul also talks about being baptised into to, to, to Moses, and he's probably using parallel language to describe the fact that in today we are baptised into Christ. Israel was the covenant community of the Old Testament, while the church is the covenant community of the New Testament. And so the implicit warning to the Corinthian church here is that many ancient Israelites suffered judgment because of their behavior, in spite of the fact that they enjoyed the baptism through the sea, through the cloud, through Moses. And that the Corinthian Christians should not assume that their Christian baptism will exempt them from God's judgment. What is our learning outcome? That God baptizes us as a sign that we are his. We go through baptism as a sign to fellow believers that we are his, that he has done a work in our lives, that he has worked in us to draw us into his family. Advantage number three. We all ate the same spiritual food. I'd like you to, to, to guess for a moment, what did a full Moses breakfast look like? We all know what a full English breakfast is. I've had a full Irish breakfast. They are both equally delicious. But what was a full Moses breakfast? Every day they went out and God provided manna. And the literal translation of the word manna was, what is it? But it was like a, a bread-like substance that fell from heaven. And it tasted like Honey. Honey manna. Imagine Lord providing with you every single day a full Moses breakfast. Honey nut manna. And remember what the, the Israelites did with this. They were able to make bread, they made cakes. They boiled it, they ground it into flour. What do we learn from that? God provided for them every single day. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. Advantage number three. But there was one more advantage. And that was that they all ate. They all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Now, by spiritual rock, Paul is probably saying that it was, it, it was that not that there was a literal rock that moved through the wilderness with them, but as they moved through the wilderness, wherever they were, God provided fresh water for them. There was a huge number of people. There was a huge number of livestock. And yet, God never let them go thirsty. 
He went before them and provided for them, often in miraculous ways, by speaking to the rock. God worked miracles of abundant water wherever they went. And when Paul talks about that the spiritual rock with life flowing from it, we can begin to think about the fact that the Lord was following them, that he is the, the fountain from which we can draw all that we need. And it brings to mind the Lord's Supper. And Paul is going to talk about order at the Lord's Supper in the next chapter, in chapter 11. But here he is saying that as Christians, we come together and we drink in memory of the provider. And Paul uses this imagery to warn Corinthian Christians that many Israelites suffered judgment in the wilderness because of their behavior in spite of having partaken of spiritual food and drink. So the Corinthian Christians should not assume that their participation in the Lord's Supper will exempt them from judgment. And Paul is going to address that more fully in the next chapter when he says, you need to take the Lord's Supper seriously. Grow up. And yet in verse 5, despite all of these advantages, Paul has to say, God was not pleased with the people. They were overthrown in the wilderness. The journey of the Israelites in the wilderness was the story of one faith failure after another. And finally, God says, I have had enough. And when the people complained to Moses and Aaron saying, you know, why didn't we just die in Egypt? Why have you brought us out here to die? We're better off dead. And so Yahweh, the Lord, decides to take them at their word and lets them die in the wilderness. And he says in Numbers 14, all of those men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I worked in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have tempted me these ten times and haven't listened Surely they will not see the land which I promised their fathers. And neither shall any of those who despise me see it. Israel had seen the glory of God, led by the cloud and the pillar of fire through the Red Sea, miraculous provision of food and water. And yet, so many of them, came under judgment. Can you imagine being an Israelite following Moses? Can you imagine that God reveals himself to you in a pillar? Wouldn't it be great if I could stand there and say, you know, I didn't need my sat-nav this morning because I just got in my car and the, and the, and the pillar of cloud appeared in front of me and I just followed the cloud to get to Ecclesia. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Wouldn't it be great if I could say, you know, I, I needed to go 
to the other side of the Thames, but do you know what? I just walked through it. <laughs> but what if I was to say, I was going out for a meal and I took all my family. But we had no money. And yet I walked into a restaurant and they served us a five-course meal. And I paid nothing. How would you feel? Well, think back on those blessings that we thought about right at the start. If you'd seen all of those, are you in that group that the Lord says, I'm not pleased? Because despite all of those, you've derailed yourself in the race. And he's going to list various examples of how they've done that through idolatry, through sexual immorality, through testing the Lord and grumbling against the Lord. In verses 6 and 11, they, they, they're very similar here. Paul is taking a, a, a bit of a time out here just to say, these things are examples for you. You need to learn from these examples. If someone can, can have all of these advantages and still slip up, you need to learn from that example. That's a perfect example of what not to do with the blessings that you've had. You need to change your behavior. The blessings that you enjoy should turn you into more focus on the direction in which you're heading and change your behavior. These are our examples. And the word that he, that's used here denotes a, a mark that is left by a blow. Or the impression of a seal on wax. I wonder which is easier for you to remember. We don't really have seals on wax anymore. But imagine being hit really hard and it leaves a mark on you. And it's there for a while. And that is what Paul is saying here. You have been marked out you can look at that mark and take it as an example of, of this is the way that you should go and alter your behavior as a result. And it should remind you of the cost involved in Christ's death for you. Encourage you to heed the warning and escape the punishment given to the Israelites. So pause for a moment. Think back to those blessings. What did they inspire in you? When the Lord blessed you, what did you learn about your Saviour? How 
How long did that blessing last? How quickly did you forget? And what brought you back? Because these are foundational things that when the testing comes, we need to fall back on and be encouraged. The Lord who was faithful in so many ways up to now has not finished with us. Just take a moment to thank God for all that he has done in your life, for the many blessings that he's done in your life up to now. We move on to the, um, the second warning that Paul gives here in verses 7 to 10. He says, there are consequences for what you do. There's an alarm clock there. Maybe your alarm is on your phone. Let me ask you a question. Each morning, how long does it take you to wake up when the alarm sounds? When that alarm is drilling, buzzing, throbbing, how long do you take to wake up? Do you ever sleep through the alarm? Hey, it's the weekend. Or in our house, it's not my turn to walk the dog. I can go back to sleep. Do you ever just turn the alarm off? And throw a duvet day. When Moses was speaking to the people, his voice was like an alarm going off again and again and again. Repent, follow the Lord. He will be your God if you are his people. Again and again and again. But after a while, the warnings simply fell on deaf ears. The Israelites turned Moses off and gave in to temptation. Moses warned the Israelites because Paul tells us that because of their idolatry and their immorality, 23,000 of them died in the wilderness. Because they tested God They died of snake bites. Because of their grumbling, God sent them an angel of death. Now I can hear some of the the Corinthians asking, yeah, but what does this have to do with us? And we may ask the same question. And Paul simply points out that the Corinthians were guilty of the same sins. And we are today. How easily do we give in to temptation, to immorality, to idolatry, to testing God and to grumbling against God. And Paul gives four warnings. 
Do not lust after these evil things as they, the ancient Israelites, lusted after. So Paul counsels them four things. Do not be idolaters. Do not commit sexual immorality. Do not test the Lord and do not grumble. Four things. And the idolaters draws us back to the same problem that Paul began to address in chapter 8. And be, be aware, chapters 8 to 10 form one unit of a, of a consecutive argument that Paul is drawing out. And Paul says that the people, they sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play or to revel. Four things that we need to avoid. Sin number one, idolatry. And the example that Paul cites here is to do with um, Aaron making the golden calf. If you remember, Moses has gone up the, the mountain to meet with the Lord. And the people say, we need to worship, we need to praise the Lord. But what do they do? They say, we can't see, we can't see God, only Moses is going to meet with God. And so we need to see something. We need something in front of us, tangible, that we can say, this will be our God and we will worship it. And so Aaron makes them a calf so that they can see something that they can dance around and revel around and offer burnt offerings and peace offerings. And yet there was no peace. The people sat down to eat and to drink and then got up to play with whatever felt good. Sin number two is, is sexual immorality. The people of Israel stayed in various places. And they began to play the prostitute with other nations, like Moab, the daughters of Moab. They called the people to the sacrifices of their gods and the people had and bowed to their gods. And the anger of Yahweh was kindled against them. And Paul says, don't follow those examples. Yes, you're in Corinth. Yes, there are these other temples to other gods, to other things. Do not go down that road. There is one God. Don't give in to the temptation. Number three was, don't test the Lord. And the Old Testament includes many references to Israel testing the Lord. Where they questioned God. They complained about God's providence or the lack thereof. They lacked faith, behaved unfaithfully in an attempt to wrestle control from God. And Paul says to them, do not put God to the test by eating at his table and an idol's table. You have freedom, but don't indulge yourself. Remember, some were killed by snakes. Numbers 21. 
The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you done this? Why have you brought us out? Why have you brought us here to die? There is no bread, no water. And Yahweh sends serpents among them to bite them. And many of them died. It's only when the people confessed their sin to the, to the Lord, to Moses, that he prayed for them and God told him to, to make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, an Asherah pole. And we still see this on London ambulances. If you look at London ambulances today, they have an Asherah pole on, on their signage. Where does that come from? It comes back to here, that when they looked to Lord's provision, he brought healing. Even some of the places that the Israelites went to were a reminder of their struggle with the Lord. That at, at Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, that's exactly what they did when they got to the places by those names. And then sin number four do not grumble, as some of them grumbled and were destroyed. And this is to do with murmuring. Being discontented. Complaining. When Paul talks about the complainers being perished, he probably has one or two accounts in mind in Numbers 11 and 14. But he's saying, look, all of these things happened as an example. And yet the history of God's people is a history of rising and falling, learning and forgetting, sinning, being punished and receiving forgiveness. And it goes round and round with each generation even today. God is providing us with a record of what went wrong so that we do not need to repeat the sins of the past. He's begun a new age, the church which is the new Israel, the new people of God. And we are no longer waiting for the Messiah to come, but we are looking forward to his second coming, when his salvation work will be complete. Can we click that on? It's not moving. Can we click on to the next slide? So Paul is saying we have a responsibility to live as God's people. We are a new creation. And for the Corinthian Christians, that would preclude them eating meat sacrificed to idols within the precincts of the pagan temples. It had a specific point there. But today, this would say to us, you cannot have a foot in Christ and one in the world. You cannot straddle those two things. But let's draw it to a conclusion and an encouragement. Paul is saying, be careful 
that you don't fall. Stay focused, stay encouraged. If you see there in verse 12, it says, um, there is a therefore. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands be careful lest he fall. And we need to ask, if there is a therefore there, what is the therefore therefore? Therefore, in light of all the warnings that have gone before, don't waste your liberty and your freedom and go about indulging yourselves. How firm is your faith? And how easily do we fall? We click on to the next one. Sometimes it's easy to stand firm when everything is going well. But what about when the door is wide open to temptation? Things are laid before us. It's, it's not hard to just walk out of your front door and face temptation or even inside your door. How easy is it to face it when the doors so often are wide open? We have the freedom to choose. But it says no temptation has taken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful and he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will provide a way of escape. Mountaintop experiences that the Israelites had won't last forever and won't necessarily change behaviour. Some of the times that the devil is most uh, active is right after a church service or we go away on a spiritual retreat, a spiritual event, a youth service or an intimate prayer time. We can come away and, and be on our way home and have doubts about what we actually believe. Because scripture tells us the devil comes to hunt, to kill, destroy. He's clever. He's the deceiver. He goes after everyone, especially the young, the weak, the wounded, or the weary. And sometimes we can be weary from doing good. And we need to protect ourselves. Amazing things happen when believers join together at conferences, camps, other events. And yet the moment we walk out the door. Just like the Israelites, we don't expect temptations waiting around the corner. Think of a football analogy. I support the best team in, in the world, Chelsea. But I've seen them so often... They score and they are so busy celebrating and thinking they've won the game that the other side go up the other end and, and score. If you think you're standing firm, be careful. Pray for resilience to recognise your stress and your tiredness and seek greater protection before you start grumbling. And if you are strong in the faith, then there is a responsibility to help those who are struggling. 
to recognise the things that trigger us. What are the things that trigger us? We need to be open to hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying. Hear wise people so that we can fight off temptation because there is a cost. Remember, there are markers indelibly stamped on your mind for what God has done with you. It is a wake-up call to say, don't play around. This is designed to hit us between the eyes as a wake-up call. Our word temptation, if we can click that on, comes from a Greek word, parasmos, and it means persuaded or deceived. And sometimes we need to name the things that tempt us. We need to name the trigger points so that they do not have control over us. When we recognize them and we name them, we take ownership and we take back control with God's help. And God promises he will not abandon us. There will be a way out. Let's look at a few of the ways that God provides a way out. Firstly, God provides a way out for us by looking to Jesus. For when we look to Christ, we see how God saves us. When we look to Jesus, we see the cross where we were set free from death despite deserving death ourselves. He knows our battle with temptation. For it says that he was tempted in every way, just like us, yet was without sin. He knows what we fall into. But on the cross, Jesus saves us from all of that. And he provides a way out by his sheer gift of being our substitute on the cross. But God also gives us very practical ways of resisting temptation. How do you know that God is prompting you away from sin? What a challenge. How do you actually know that this is God? Maybe it's a nagging thought. Don't go there. Why am I doing this? Why did, how did I find myself in this situation? Something just nagging away at you. It's there like an alarm going off. Don't do this. Don't go here. Why are you here? Or it may be a gentle prompt. Phil, please. Or it may be I recall his word. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but provide a way of escape. We need to look to Christ. But then the second thing is that God provides a way out through his word. Just look for a moment with me at, at how Jesus faced temptation. Remember, he had the mountaintop experience. The baptism, he comes out of the water, the spirit descends on him, he's told that he is blessed and anointed for the task and he's about to enter his, his ministry time. And what happens straight after? Satan tempts him for 40 days and nights. In three ways. Eat this, give in to comfort, bow down to me. And with each attempt, what did Jesus do? 
It goes back to the word. One of the ways out of temptation is to remind yourself of the word. Be grounded in the word. So he quotes Deuteronomy. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is he saying? Learning outcome. Enjoy the advantages and the provision. He quotes from the Psalms. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't test the Lord. If he's prompting you to do something, respond. And he quotes Deuteronomy again saying, It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. No idolatry, nothing else takes the place of God. Grab hold of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to us all. And God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out. And in 1 John 5, 21. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. And then thirdly, God provides a way out through prayer. Jesus told the disciples just before his crucifixion that they should pray that they do not enter into temptation. He taught us, Lord, lead us not into temptation. He wasn't telling us that we will never encounter temptation. Rather, he wanted us to pray that we don't give in to it. And he said we should ask the Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from it. God provides a way out. And it's not by creating a top ten list of of do's and don'ts when faced with temptation. Otherwise, it just becomes a moralistic theology. But here's some practical help. Redeem tech. I'm not a great techie. But temptation blasts through our media like a wide open broken dam. And so we need to address our technology. We need to tame it. We need to use it for the kingdom. And what a blessing it is that we can have services like this online because of tech that has been provided. But we treat it with care and not allow it to run our lives. So if you've got an iPhone or a smartphone or an iPod or an iPad, put a Bible on it if you haven't already. Use it for your devotions. If you've got a laptop, get podcasts. I'm not great with podcasts, but I'm learning. There is so much out there. Grab the freebies. You haven't got to pay. People are putting it out there because they want to build a kingdom. Use the tools. But then another very practical thing is is just run. I like to run. I'm building up my my running again after a a couple of injuries, but it just, it helps me. Run. And Paul is saying here, run. Run away from temptation and pursue holiness. Run towards the goal. And here's three encouragements as we finish. The first encouragement is that any temptation is common to everyone. There's the danger 
that we can sometimes think, I'm the only one tempted with this. I'm the only person with this struggle. You don't understand me because you haven't been done through the same thing. And yet we believe in a saviour that it says he has been tempted in every way just as we are. There's no excuse. It's common. And we need to understand that so it doesn't grip us and take control of our lives. The second encouragement is that the Lord is faithful. Paul says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you from the evil one. We do not worry whether God will be there when we need him. We need not worry about whether he loves us. God is faithful. And we sang earlier about God being the rock. He is rock solid faithful. And then the third encouragement is that the testing will not break you. It won't break you. Just think of Job in the Old Testament. He could have failed, and yet God gave him the resources to succeed. And Job utilized them and held on. Christians can expect God to help them if they experience ostracism, a loss of a job, because of their refusal to eat meat sacrificed to idols. These losses will hurt. But they can expect that God will provide a way out, a way of escape, a means of salvation. What does it mean to us today before we pray? We might say we don't complain, we don't grumble against the Lord because we're sick of manna falling from heaven. But there's certainly times when we test the Lord with our impatience, our doubts, our complaints, our jealousy of others. Or even I was reminded by... Uh, our sister Hannah this morning, sometimes we put the Lord to the test just by saying we, we don't need to respect social distancing because the Lord will protect us. We're sick of lockdown. We're sick of the government telling us what to do. We're sick of not being able to hug each other. How long do we cry? And we grumble about the price of masks and the size of the queues. If Paul were alive today, wouldn't he still say the same thing? Hello? Wake up. Don't be ignorant. The same things are going on. And maybe he would use the Israelites and the Corinthians as examples to us. The same sins are still going on today. Idolatry, adultery, testing the Lord, grumbling against God. Anything can be an idol. Your job, family, money, possessions, free time. Have any of those things been more important to you? than the Lord. That is idolatry. However, if we move it on, can we move on to the next slide? However, look at this encouragement. If you're struggling, this is what the Lord says, he will not brush aside the bruised and the hurt and he won't disregard the small and insignificant, but he will steadily and firmly set things right. He won't tire and he won't quit. He won't be stopped until he's finished his work to set things right on earth. Here's the blessing. Rejoice in your blessings. Stay focused and marked out and be encouraged by all that God can do. He's not finished with you. 
Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the many blessings that you give us day by day. The provision, the protection, the guidance, the assurance, the strength, the comfort. Lord, may we never take them for granted. But Lord, as you set your eyes and focus on Jerusalem, Lord, help us to keep our focus on you. That when the testing and the struggles come, we keep our eyes focused on the Lord who is faithful and will provide a way of escape. Lord, help us to persevere that we might grow in our faith in you and go deeper in our relationship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.